0: Good morning. We are, um, well, it's morning for us at least. So this time we, uh, not that it matters, but we are in London. Back in London. Back in London for you, yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, so should we remind people why we do this podcast?
0: Yeah, this is actually, we were talking about this just now. This is where we started (laughs) in London. And the, the whole idea came from I guess our curiosity around dialogues and our need for dialogues and wanting to have more dialogues. Mm. And then, of course, the idea of trying something new. What is it like to have a podcast, do a podcast?
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, it's worth noting out that we're surrounded by pillows and blankets, To make sure that the sound is better (laughs) than the very first podcast we recorded here.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. And I had an email from a friend who was talking about uh, her podcast and the company that helps her and the uh, studio that she goes to. Uh, And here we are uh, in our very much homemade environment, which I like. Yeah. This is a real environment for dialogue, actually.
1: So any reflections on the last episode on presence? Uh,
0: Well, I think... One thing that I left that podcast with was, um, first of all, that it felt a bit unstructured in my head because we just went straight into a topic that is so big and perhaps one of the most important topics mm. of our lives in many ways. Um, but what happened afterwards was very interesting because we, after that podcast, kicked off a dialogue group on
1: WhatsApp. Mm. Which, to be fair, doesn't have a huge amount of people in it yet.
0: Well, you but know, a small really group nice. of people with yeah. uh, very interesting thoughts and questions on presence. So yeah. the dialogue continued after the podcast in that WhatsApp group. Yeah. Um, so let's give some credit to to my sister because she's the one who initiated it.
1: She actually started the WhatsApp group. Yeah. She did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really good. So if um, if people want to be part of this group, they're listening to this, then let us know and we'll add you to it. Right.
0: And if you need some conviction about. Uh, the interest and the uh, importance of the questions. I think one of the questions uh, that we had on there was around, can you be too present?
1: Hmm.
0: Can you become too present? Yeah. And what's the difference between mindfulness and presence? But let's not go into that. I think um, this is also leading us into the topic of today, which is...
1: Dialogue.
0: Dialogue, of course.
1: So
0: I thought it would be helpful for, well, for everybody if we just... Talk a little bit about what it is and therefore also what it isn't.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. So, um, so, so what, yeah. So what it is, well, uh, it's a, it's a, a way to have a conversation, right? It's like, uh, words like, um, debate, uh, monologue, coaching, discussion. These are all sort of different types of conversation method. And, uh, I think we can define dialogue as a, as a conversation method where ideas and opinions about a certain topic are exchanged. So, so I guess it's good to start from the opposite or what I guess in my mind is the opposite of dialogue, which is debate. So in debate, you're trying to convince others that you are right and they are wrong. Uh, think of the, the most obvious political debate, right? Um, the, the House of Commons here in, in London uh, where it becomes quite shouty uh, sometimes.
0: Well can I just say that you don't have to go to the politicians to find debate? I quite often find that in a group of friends as well mm. where the idea of convincing people that you are right, comes from the ego that you get acknowledgement for your actions or for your choices or your decisions because you are basically putting forward, this is what I did. And either you're comparing yourself to somebody else uh, or you just want some justification from a group of friends.
1: Yeah, so I think this is the powerful distinction between debate and, um, and, uh, and dialogue. And I think the these aspects of debate where we're trying to convince others are everywhere in society. So we find that in groups of friends, um, where the ego comes in, we find it in the management teams, uh, in the team meetings, in the boardrooms, where the, the conversation method is much more one of debate than one of dialogue.
0: And let's stay a little bit with the management team meeting. So the typical management team meeting that I know of, <clears throat> would have um, you know, have the materials in advance, so people have read up on a topic, where a scenario is described, so that a decision can be made, and usually there is a preference for one decision over the other before you go into that meeting, which in my mind stops a little bit the true dialogue because there is a drive to come to a decision based on a informal perhaps before the meeting decision. Mm. So the time, the curiosity, the openness for dialogue in that forum is limited, I think.
1: Yeah. So um, so what's the point then of dialogue? So what's what, what's the problem with debate, I suppose? So what what we're talking about here is that there, there is a place for debate. Um, it's not that debate is bad, but we are saying that there is probably also a debate for dialogue. There's a place for dialogue and that um, there is... Uh, not enough dialogue in the world. So there is more opportunity for people in boardrooms, in management meetings, in social settings, to have more of a conversation style that is dialogue rather than debate, where it's not about convincing each other of right and wrong, but about exchanging ideas, about um, really learning as a group, reflecting as a group, coming to new insights as a group, and then it comes to, which a term we often use, it's about real meaningful conversations.
0: And you can see, um, normally when I ask the question, you know, what's the opposite to dialogue, it's actually not debate that comes up, but monologue. Because you think dialogue, monologue, or well, monologue, everybody knows it's just one person talking. And if you're lucky, some people are listening, but very often it's a monologue and nobody's listening. Yeah. So I don't know what that is. Um, yeah. But what what's the place when is monologue a good idea then? Yeah, so think- monologue
1: is one person talking, right? But dialogue is not two people talking. That's often what uh what is a confusion in there. So dialogue is not two people talking. Dialogue is a different types of conversation. It could be a group of people, it could be two people. Mm. A monologue is essentially a presentation, right? So sometimes it's necessary for somebody to explain their thoughts, their ideas before the dialogue starts. Um in general probably people like to the, the the sound of their own voice a bit too much and monologues could be a bit shorter and there could be a bit more space for dialogue hmm. so um yeah so i think uh, we we have a real quest i think this is how we started this, this episode and how we started the the whole idea of doing this podcast is to to really uh, engage people more in dialogue. Mm. So we on this podcast talk in a dialogue way. So Mm. we're not trying to convince each other, even though we might sometimes disagree with each other. It's not necessarily about convincing, but what happens in dialogue is that we raise the entire um, conversation to learn as a whole. So it's about collective learning. So if you compare it to coaching, which might be another nice distinction. So coaching, there's one coach and one coachee, and it's all about the learning of the coachee, right? The client or the person that's being coached. And the coach's role is to help the client learn. Well, in dialogue, the whole group is responsible for the collective learning of the group. That's how I would put it.
0: I, um, I can notice sometimes my temptation in a coaching session to go into dialogue when I'm with uh, somebody uh, where the coaching is, it's really edgy, it's really uh, getting there. And I can feel my need for the dialogue and I can also hold back on it. So I I think I know what you're saying, that there is a difference, Mm. definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So are there any other examples where you would like to see more dialogue? Well,
0: to me, If you're trying to have a dialogue in a room or in a setting where other people perhaps mm, don't have that need or are a bit unused to dialogues, Mm. it's pretty difficult, I find, to change it around. Mm. So what happens then is that, for me at least, what happens is I end up being very silent. And after a while, I disconnect. Mm. So I introvert even more. Mm. So... If you ask me then, where would I like to see more dialogues? Well, in the everyday setting, I would like more dialogues, generally.
1: Yeah. So everyday setting, as in groups of friends coming together, yep. dinner parties. a
0: lunch with friends. So we don't have to go to board meetings, management no. team meetings, okay. or um, any facilitated environments, but just in everyday people coming together, gatherings.
1: Midsummer... F- parties oh yeah should we say
0: a little bit about that it was midsummer's eve last time we recorded a podcast yeah and we were saying a group of friends were traveling in and indeed they were and i would say we had a marathon dialogue starting from lunchtime midsummer to um, lunchtime sunday
1: yeah so 48 hours for people that don't know midsummer is on a friday (laughs) Mm. which it always is
0: So, um, how did that work out? I think every time we gathered over, you know, over food or in the sauna or on the grass enjoying the sun, that was a constant dialogue Mm -hmm. with the curiosity, with the listening, with the learning.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. There was no agenda as such. I mean, it was just a self. What do you call it? Flowing. Self. self, Yeah, it's it's a flow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's actually that's a very interesting point. So there is certain. It's like the dialogue it becomes its own identity almost. Exactly. Yeah. So nobody is driving anything. Right. Nobody is controlling anything. Nobody. There is no agenda. So the dialogue becomes its own identity, and we're all part of something bigger. That's what it feels like in a dialogue.
0: um, One of my um, coaches, he raised one of the um, issues or desires, I suppose, that he has that uh, with his partner, he wished that they had more dialogue. He wasn't actually using the word dialogue, but the way he put it was, I wish I didn't have to ask the questions and drive the conversations. Mm. And to me, that is a desire to have more dialogue where you get in contact with this did you call it the, the the being of dialogue?
1: Yeah, yeah, like, the, the, the unity, third, the, the unity, yeah, the you know, identity, The identity. I mean,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So it being something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were, yeah. So I I think people that listen to this podcast will probably have a feeling of what dialogue is like, right? Although also because some of the people that listen to this podcast were there at midsummer, so they <laughs> they remember, but. Uh, I think it might be helpful to talk a little bit about actually what is the dialogue. So, what makes dialogue? So, we know we know it is perhaps what it feels like, but how do you do it? Um, so, you mentioned one important point, I think, and that's curiosity. I mm. think that's a really important principle of dialogue. So, curiosity means you keep asking questions. What's behind? Um, the words that somebody is using, not just the words, but what's behind the words. You dig deeper under the words. Why do somebody? Why does somebody say something? There is a deep level of listening here. The listening would go co- co- beyond the words. It goes to the person that is uttering the words. Uh, so that's that's curiosity, and there, um, the other word that uh, is presence. Mm. Right, so I don't think it's possible to have a good dialogue if you are not present with the dialogue, with the people.
0: I think this is where we go wrong sometimes if if we think we are in a dialogue. We get so caught up in, oh, I came to think of, and, and all of a sudden our mind is diverting us to content that we don't want to forget to share, maybe out of a good mm. intention. Mm. But then we stop listening because we want to remember, oh, there's also this. Yeah. Or we get so um, empathetic sometimes that we ask questions before we listen because we think we're holding somebody and showing our interest in asking questions too fast, too quickly. Yeah.
1: yeah. We are, I think we all know what that is like, right? When you are in a conversation, but your mind is already at the next In the future of that same conversation. So if your mind is in the future of a conversation, which might be the next question you're going to ask, the next smart thing you're going to say, um, the next way you're going to convince somebody, whatever it might be, you're not in the present. Mm. So a dialogue, you don't have to control anything in a dialogue. A dialogue controls itself. Mm. There's no people in charge of a dialogue. The dialogue is in charge of the dialogue. So you can just let go Mm. completely, surrender to the process of dialogue, which means that you can be completely present because there's no need to think when you are in a dialogue. Mm. And that notion of no need to think, I think is quite powerful. It can be totally from the heart. So here's a
0: question for you, and I'm wondering if I know the answer, but after, let's say 42 hours of dialogue, the marathon dialogue. (laughs) Can you say a little bit about what you did and why? So the question is really, can there be too much?
1: Yeah, so like uh, Pia, I'm an introvert. And yes, there can be too much of any interaction with people. To be honest, um, I can stand dialogue a lot longer, you know, 42 hours compared to a debate especially when it's not needed a debate right so uh, then i probably switch off in 10 minutes or 15 minutes rather than 42 hours but there's at some point there's enough so i on some, sunday morning i needed some solitude so i said that the other side of the house yeah it's i think it's um i think it's uh, it was very nice to do that actually
0: and i think what might happen then if you don't remove yourself from the dialogue even if it's really good but then you would probably tune out being with people, but you will stop becoming present and you will, will either disconnect from the dialogue, but still perhaps say things. Mm. And then you're not in dialogue anymore. Then what are you in, in a normal you know, conversation? Mm. You kind of, I think you lose the connection, yeah. which I think is pretty often the case as well. So it's not as if, oh, now we're having a dialogue over a dinner. I think you go in and out of it. It's a flow there.
1: So, uh, yeah. So we've talked about dialogue for a bit and how we do it and what it is and what it isn't. We've given some examples.
0: Well, actually, I think I have a couple of more. I was listening to something quite interesting. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily about dialogue. It was more about gatherings, which can be, in my mind, both um Virtual gatherings as well as physical gatherings. This was mainly about physical gatherings, but anyway, whatever it is, meaningful gatherings. How do you make a, a gathering getting people together more meaningful? So, if it's not a facilitated environment, which we normally would have, let's say in a leadership development program, people expect that to happen because we facilitate the environment. And the whole idea is to be present, to learn, mm. to be curious. So, you know, the whole setting is just lined up for dialogue, Mm. but what if it's a birthday party or what if it's, um, well, we don't really do baby showers in Sweden, but do you? Well, I don't, it doesn't matter, but something that comes with, oh, right, yeah, yeah, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's something that comes with, it's charged or ready with anticipation and expectation that this is how you do it. Let's say wedding. Hmm. So in Sweden, well, I know it's it's a difference between the UK and Sweden. In Sweden, we we really like our speeches at wedding. Mm. And there's a certain protocol that you follow in the traditional wedding. Now, if you were to to do your own thing and design your gathering according to what is it exactly that you want to achieve with it? So why, let's take a dinner party because that's so relevant to everybody. If you get a certain group of people together, is it just to tick off, you know, it's now my turn to invite people to dinner because I've been to dinner parties Mm in the last year to everybody and nobody has been here. And then your focus will be, on oh, make sure I cook the good food so I can impress people, make sure I have cleaned my flat, make sure you know people get along, that there are no conflicts that you're aware of. So it's a nice group of people. So you're so focused on, let's say the content or um, getting the things ready mm. that you focus on the interaction between people is put at the backseat. Mm. So, how could you make that dinner party more meaningful?
1: More dialogue.
0: And and to us, I think we would say, well, let's make sure there's more dialogue. So, how can you do that without starting facilitating a group? Because that's, that could be pretty uncomfortable, mm. I guess.
1: Well, you could. I I think it's just it could be very light facilitation, right?
0: So, say meet more.
1: Well, I, I guess I, I'm not quite sure what I'm saying, but um, facilitate without it being. Clear that you are facilitating, so it's not so obvious. So you might just throw in a question.
0: I tell you what happened the other day when I was in the office at one of our clients and we had a stack of cards called the icebreaker. <laughs> and it was actually conversational cards with really good questions. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And we ended up having a coffee break rather than talking about what's your weekend like and, and the weather. We ended up talking about, you know, are you happy with your salary? Can you imagine yeah. having that discussion with
1: yeah.
0: your colleagues? Now, that was a little bit uncomfortable. I can't say that ended up in a dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then we switched to another question that was more, you know, uh, perhaps more appropriate for that setting, but still.
1: Yeah.
0: So, conversational cards.
1: Yeah, there's so, but, something
0: so, uh, around have you heard of pop up rules? Does that mean anything to you? No. Pop up rules. So, I mean, the usual pop up rule that people might have experienced in their uh, 20s, I guess, is uh, drinking games. So Mm. things that you can say or can't say, or if you say them, you end up having to take the shot. But you could have a pop-up rule, which is, you know, take the easiest one is probably around the mobile phone. So make sure that nobody uses their mobile phone. Or if you are the first one using your mobile phone, you also get to pick up the bill if Mm. you're in the restaurant. Mm. So that's a way to at least take away some of the uh, diversions from presence in this case, mm. but what else could be?
1: Well, ask a, uh, <clears throat> ask a, ask a question, like, uh, you know, what are you proud of? What have you done recently that you're proud of? Mm. I mean, it's a, just ask a question that gets into a little bit deeper conversation than what you might otherwise get where people get together over dinner. Um, yeah, I quite like the idea of pop-up rules where you create a tiny bit of structure around mm. what otherwise is totally unstructured. Mm. Or it has its own structure based on the conventions of the, you know, whatever it is. So I think a, a, a London dinner party has certain conventions and I wouldn't say that they're always good. So if you change some of those conventions by creating your own rules, mm. you might create a better atmosphere or a better, the better um, uh, space for for dialogue, hmm. which could be more interesting.
0: So we're going to wrap up soon. I just wanted to connect some of our podcasts with this because we have talked about intentions and presence and learning enemies, and now we're in dialogue. So I can see how you can integrate all of these into one dinner party. Hmm. So if you set your intention with a dinner party and maybe your learning enemy is the conventions that you think there are expectations. So you, you perhaps uh, your learning enemy is the expectation you think that friends have of your dinner party. Mm. If you ignore that or work with that, if you set the intention with your dinner party and you work with presence, so let's say the mobile phone rule
1: or... Mm. You know what?
0: Having an intention on being present.
1: We have a dinner party tonight with eight people.
0: Oh, yes, we do.
1: And we're going to apply everything you've just said. Oh. And the next time, we'll debrief people on that. <laughs> oh, God.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> and all those eight people, obviously,
1: they have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> well, oh, two right. two of those eight people are you and me, I suppose. So six, six other people.
0: Six other people.
1: It's quite nice. Okay,
0: then. Well, yeah. that's, uh, that's a nice uh, closing line.
1: And uh, what do you call it? A uh, cliffhanger. A cliffhanger.
0: Yeah. yeah. A cliffhanger. Okay, well... Um, Anything else? Any final word? No. No. Not for me. No. Me neither. Okay. Okay then. Well, thanks very much for today and um, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.